0: Welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. I'm your host, Johnny McFarlane, and as usual, I'm joined by Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. This week, Neymar and Ronaldo have been in action at the World Cup. But it hasn't stopped the continued speculation that their futures may be not only up for debate, but in fact, intrinsically linked. Middlesbrough's flying winger, Adama Traore, is interesting PSG. We assess the move and tell you why it's part of the jigsaw that is the Paris Club's FFP compliance. And we take you inside Real Madrid's capture of Spain boss Julian Lopetegui And explain why Real Madrid dropped their aggressive pursuit of top target Mauricio Pochettino for now. So we're going to start the podcast with the three World Cup superstars, Neymar, Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. They've had very different outcomes so far in this World Cup, but that hasn't stopped the transfer rumour mill continuing. Ian, what do you make of their performances so far? and what it means for potential transfer moves. Well, let's first of all, Johnny,
1: rule out uh, Leo Messi, because obviously he signed the highest paid contract in the world, and he will be staying at Barcelona. And um, judging by his performance in the first game for Argentina, no one's going to want to buy him anyway. Uh, (laughs) Compare that and contrast that with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think everyone who who watched the game against Spain would have felt that they had watched one of the, the, the great, World Cup performances by an individual player to score a hat-trick in the opening match against such, um, you know, esteemed opponents. He virtually ran the game on his own. He looked to me like a man with a point to prove. And the point he's trying to prove is very, very simple. I am the best player in the world, and I deserve to be paid like the best player in the world. Currently, Leo Messi's earning just about almost twice what Ronaldo is. Duncan has given us great information week after week on the podcast regarding um, Cristiano's contract status at Real Madrid and I'm told uh, that Real Madrid are not willing to meet the, um, the demands that Cristiano has made with regards to upgrading his current contract there and it's my, certainly sources, telling me that there's a, a willingness both in Madrid to, to let him go But also, uh, there are moves to try and uh, find uh, a way of facilitating a transfer to Paris Saint-Germain. Now, those kind of moves, as we all know, are fraught with logistical, financial difficulties um, because of the amount of money that's going to be involved. But there's never, I think, before been such a momentum, if you like, from the player himself to, to leave... Real Madrid. That's partly been uh, motivated because in the last few days, um, he has been fined around £17 million by the Spanish tax authorities for um, tax avoidance uh, or tax evasion um, during his time at Real Madrid. Uh, he feels that the club did not protect him or indeed even help him to defend himself against those charges uh, one of the reasons why I think he came out after the Champions League final and stated very unequivocally that um, he may not play for Real Madrid again. And I, I know footballers, 20 years in the business, I know what they're like. And even the multi, multi-millionaires like Cristiano, who has his own private jet, they don't take losing 16, 17 million quid to the tax authorities lightly. Even though they can, you can argue that they can afford it, they think, no, I work hard, for that money and maybe I was badly advised or wrongly advised about how to do this and how to do that and he wants to recoup that money and the only way he can do that is to force through either a contract at Madrid which is very unlikely or a move elsewhere um, Duncan already explained how difficult that would be to get him to back to Manchester United who probably wouldn't pay the £40 million pounds or so per year salary that is after but Paris and germain are a club who uh, know that there's a chance they'll lose Neymar this summer, who, strange enough, wants to go to Real Madrid, who are willing to pay the transfer fee and the wages. Is it a simple solution to say, let's just exchange these two players, um, we'll make up the cash difference, uh, that Neymar comes back to Spain, and obviously the contracts are not going to be difficult on either side in terms of paying them. Sounds simple. Obviously, reality kicks in and it's not never that quite uh, simple because you've got commissions and agents' fees and loyalty bonuses that are involved in the players' current contracts, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, et cetera, all of which have to be ironed out and legally um, made correct. So, uh, the other thing is that the Qatari owners of PSG are determined not to lose face uh, or lose Neymar after one season. They, as we know, pulled off the transfer coup uh, of, of getting the player from Barcelona last season. So have one season minus, what, two and a half months he's been injured before coming to the World Cup in Paris would look like you know they effectively were giving up on the project. However, you'd have to say that compensation in any form would come with the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo to take his place. Um, would the two play in the same team? Well, it's debatable. They certainly could play in the same team, but whether or not FFP... With UEFA would allow um, both Neymar and Ronaldo to be on such large salaries, uh, with the transfer fee involved as well, maybe around 100 million euros to Real Madrid is another matter altogether. So, look, what we know for sure is Cristiano Ronaldo's value after that Spain game, after his hat trick, well, has rocketed in terms of um, you know his his prestige, and you know who would want to buy him, and PSG obviously would be looking at the most likely. So. I would suggest that um we've got a story which will run and run over the course of the next four weeks during the World Cup but will also extend into towards the end of the transfer window because uh, if Neymar's to get out of Paris then it, he will need to agitate to do that um and I think you know we've discussed before that his uh, rather immature attitude towards things like real life mean that um agitation is not uh, out with his character.
2: So many strands to this and that um as Ian's pointed out, the difficulties of getting Neymar out of PSG. Um, the, the, the extreme motivation of Cristiano Ronaldo, which I think we saw in that performance against Spain, one, one of the best uh, World Cup group games, certainly, I've ever seen and one of the, the greatest individual performances I've seen. And I think I think that's the single most important factor with Cristiano Ronaldo. We hear again and again and again people questioning... His age and the fact that he's in decline, um, how dangerous would, would it be to sign a player um, of 33 mm. years of age? Yet, when it comes down to these key moments, as he's got further into his career, he's become better and better at, at expressing his qualities on the pitch in moments that matter, which you don't get anything more important than, than that free kick he took. Um, and executed to absolute perfection to, to draw a game where he was motivated to perform in the World Cup because he wants to win a World Cup um, as part of his project not to be the best player the best footballer of the, of the current era not to be the best footballer of all time but to be recognised as the best sportsman of all time and, and, and that's the motivation with Cristiano Ronaldo he wanted to deliver then to show that's where he can go. He wanted to deliver then to put a slap in the face to uh, the Spanish authorities who he felt had unjustifiably punished him um, following changes to tax laws which he felt he'd adhered to previously. Um, He wants to uh, ensure he gets the contract he deserves, whether that's at Real Madrid or whether it has to be another club. Contrast that with Lionel Messi who um, has yet to win Um, anything with Argentina, Um, uh, was playing against Iceland and once again failed to deliver in um, an important moment for his team against opposition that that executed a plan very well, played very well within their limitations, but
1: uh, nowhere near on the same level as Spain. Um, And also, Duncan, (laughs) sorry to interrupt, but Messi had 12 yards to be a goalkeeper. Cristiano had about
0: 24 yards to beat a wall plus a goalkeeper. And look at the outcome of both. Guys, you get a sense that it's possible that Ronaldo could do the unthinkable and drag this Portugal side to a World Cup win. And if he did, would that make him the undisputed greatest of all time? Because that would be an achievement that even bettered Maradona's in 86, wouldn't it? I think it, I think it's possible.
2: I don't think it's likely. Um, I think... We see from the early stages of the World Cup that this could be there could be a lot of unexpected results in it and an un- unpredictable outcome, which would obviously increase the chances of a of a team like Portugal doing it. Um, they have a lot of they have a lot of talent within their squad and they play, especially when they're playing teams like Spain, um, who come to them. That it's very well set up for the way they play because they play strategic counter attacking football well with a lot of skill. So. And when you've got Cristiano Ronaldo in the team, you have the ability to beat anyone. So not impossible. But I think you, you touched on a key point, and that's, that's, the, that's the motivation for Ronaldo. He wants to try and prove, do what people think is impossible. Winning the European Championship with with Portugal people thought was impossible, he did that. So the next target he sets himself is to do, to do it with Portugal in the World Cup, to be the leading scorer in the World Cup with Portugal. All of those things are targets for him. And I think that's that's the the difference between him and Lionel Messi. And it's a difference we'll see in the next <laughs> few years. There's this idea that Lionel Messi is a, you know, a, a lot younger than Cristiano Ronaldo. Messi will be 31 this month. Um, who would you bet on being the better player when they, they reach the age of 35 in terms of the physical condition they keep their body in? Add and on top of that, this driving force that Ronaldo has to prove himself the best ever, um, the best of all time. That's such, such a weapon in his favour. And that's why a club like Paris Saint-Germain, when they see the possibility of signing Cristiano Ronaldo, because he's being messed around by Real Madrid, has been messed around for over a year in terms of not being given the contract he's promised, in terms of this kind of sniping from the Madrid press over um, his decline his supposed decline in physical ability and the need to replace him, always talking about who the replacements should be. Will they get Neymar in to to take over from him? What would happen if Neymar came to the club? He's fed up of all of that. Therefore, Paris Saint-Germain have a door open to them to take advantage of. Can they take advantage of that while hanging on to Neymar? They think they can they're intent on doing so. I mean, the logical solution when they've got significant financial fair play issues to deal with would be get rid of Neymar, who's caused them problems almost from uh, the day he arrived at the club. Take a big transfer fee from Real Madrid for him. Use that money to buy Ronaldo. And, um, and, and the contract's almost covered by um, taking Neymar's contract off the wage bill. They don't want to do that for for the reasons of pride, for the reasons of... Um, not seeing the, the PSG project diminished by having signed Neymar a year ago and being seen to let him leave. So they are currently working on solutions where they can retain Neymar, at least for another year, and have Cristiano Ronaldo in their team next season with the idea of winning the Champions League next season.
1: That would be some lineup, Duncan, as well. Uh, you, you talk about Barcelona's Trident and, and, and you know the Real Madrid 3 of BBC, etc., etc., Bale and... Um, Uh, Ronaldo and Cristiano, uh, sorry, Bale, uh, Benzema, Ronaldo and Cristiano Ronaldo, but put Neymar. uh, You know, you what? Neymar is childlike. Neymar is immature. You know, he sometimes um, will disadvantage his own team by trying to beat a direct opponent twice or three times rather than delivering the final ball, which makes the goal, etc., etc. But he gets away with it at PSG because. The competition in Liga is not great, and and literally they are competing for the Champions League um, title each season as the most important.
0: Yeah, is there a, is there a sense that Neymar being indulged at PSG has actually made him regress as a footballer, as evidenced by his performance uh, in the one-one draw?
1: Yeah, maybe. I, I I think Brazil are a, a curious um, team in terms of the way that they. Yeah, the even just the dynamic there, Um, you know, hearing stories from their pre-tournament training camp, which took place mostly in England, um, it was incredibly laid back. You know, kids were often, The kids of the players were often involved in sessions. Um, they were there. Uh, they got to play games uh, with the first team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I wonder if what Neymar, given his, as we have said, his slightly immature attitude, generally needs actually more discipline. And I wonder if Thomas Tuchel is the is the coach to provide that. I'm not sure he is. But um, in terms of his own performances, well, someone, uh, I was listening to a debate about um, Messi and Ronaldo. I think it was Pat Nevin was talking about it and saying that it's unlikely that those two players would have shared the last, I think, nine or 10 Ballon d'Ors between them if they didn't have each other to measure themselves against. And maybe what Neymar needs is someone like Cristiano, the ultimate professional in every single way. His preparation, his fitness, his diet, his attitude towards training and matches. Maybe what Neymar needs to make him a better player is someone like Cristiano to mentor him. And so taking Ronaldo to PSG and retaining Neymar could improve Neymar's performances because Neymar then has someone else to live up to. Of course, with Neymar, because of his, let's say, personality, he he will go one way or the other, either try and outdo Ronaldo, or he'll go on a massive strop and think, oh, right, great, so they're bringing in the superstar guy who's actually better than me, and therefore I'm just going to go on a big uh, big huff, and I'm going to try and get a move to Real Madrid. So it's a risky strategy for PSG, one way or the other, and they'd have to be very, very careful and and also quite certain about what the outcome would be, because otherwise, if you put those two players in the same team, the same dressing room, It either works or it's combustible. And if it's combustible, there will be fireworks.
0: So sticking with PSG, guys, um, in terms of their financial fair play, obviously to uh, fit in with the requirements for 2018, they have to sell players before the end of June. What do you feel is going to happen there to try and facilitate their um, passing, the the criteria for for FFP?
2: Well, look, UEFA made an announcement on this uh, last week, and what they said was that they'd, they'd gone through uh, PSG's books for the last three complete seasons, so not including 2017-18. Um, they'd readjusted uh, the sponsorship values that that uh, PSG were claiming, um, mostly obviously from Qatar um, and obviously overstated and they, they'd said that they were they were within acceptable deviation which is a UEFA phrase for just just getting themselves in amongst the allowed losses um, over those three seasons but they made it clear that they were going to have another look at the 2017-18 um, accounts once they were complete at the end of this month and once um, the the transfer a window, if you if you if you like for that whole season, was over. So essentially, they were saying um, you've still got problems here for 2017-18 because you spent so much money on Neymar and Kylian Mbappe. If you can make some sales and readjust before the end of June, you might get away with it for this year. But we're keeping an eye on you. Um, that also applies, obviously, to the coming season. So if they bring Ronaldo in. If they add another big wage um, to their wage bill, then they, they've got more um, problems complying with those those limits that uh, that UEFA are, are placing upon them. And they're being they're telling them we're we're worth keeping an eye on your sponsorship. So you take send more money over from Qatar, um, and they've got a ridiculous deal from the Qatari tourist organisation, which which gives them over a hundred million euros. Um, we will we will we will take action against that, or we'll likely take action against that. So they've got some, um, they've come up with some, they're exploring some novel solutions. So what they've done um, over this summer is they made an approach um, for Adama Traore, who is at Middlesbrough in the championship. Um, Barcelona youth product. You may remember when he was in Aston Villa, had a season in the Premier League, um, being highlighted for being the quickest player in the Premier League that season. Um, has attracted attention from a lot of Premier League clubs, um, principally because he has a a release clause in his contract that because Middlesbrough didn't get promoted, he can move for £18 million this summer. You wouldn't expect PSG to be on the list of admirers, but they are. And the reason they are is they see him as, as a guy they can bring into the squad as a replacement, a cheaper replacement for Angel Di Maria or Julian Draxler. Who they are looking to sell, um, obviously before the end of June, if they can do. On top of that, they're looking to structure the the deal in in a, a very interesting fashion. You could talk about it as a sort of the Frank Lampard workaround, if you remember when Manchester City um, managed to get Frank Lampard from Chelsea, having uh, Frank Lampard ostensibly going to New York City for um, for his first move out of the Premier League, and then he suddenly turned up at at uh, Manchester City on loan, supposedly for half the season, ended up being there for the whole season. City got them cheap, which helped them with FFP, which they were limited by it for that season. What um, PSG want to do, or propose doing with Adama Traore, is having them signed by a Qatar club, spending six months in Qatar, um, and then either being loaned to PSG from the Qatar club, or being sold to PSG at a discount on the $18 that the Qatari club will will spend for them. Um, It's it's, it's kind of a blatant um, way of breaking or, or, or flouting with the financial fair play rules. And if they do go ahead with it, it'll be really interesting to see what UEFA can do about that, and if they try to do anything about it, because it's something that is very open for Man- Manchester City to use in the future if they were ever to get into, um, into fi- financial fair play troubles again because they have multiple clubs around the world that have already signed some um, extremely talented players. You know, we mentioned Daniel Arzani on the, on the, the transfer window last week as, as one of the players to watch at the World Cup and he's, he's at Melbourne City and, and in principle... Manchester City could move him. They decided he was good enough for the Premier League now. They could move him into the Premier League at cheap cost because they control both clubs involved in the transaction.
1: Well, e- even more than that, Duncan, <clears throat> um, there are a lot of players in the, let's say, satellite clubs uh, that are owned by the same um, Sheikh Mansour who owns Manchester City, whose contracts are with CFG, City Football Group, which is the holding company, which is responsible for all of Sheikh Mansour's football clubs. So, effectively, any of those players who are contracted to CFG can move for no fee whatsoever between clubs and just transfer their contract to a different club, meaning that financial fair play doesn't affect anything to do with it. So, it's clever uh, and it's very effective, which was the case with Frank Lampard, as you mentioned before, who was contracted, allegedly, to play for Manchester for New York City FC but ended up spending his first season at Manchester City because his contract was with City Football Group and not with
0: Manchester, not with New York City. Okay, guys, we're going to move on then to Julian Lopetegui, who was the Spanish coach, of course, that was uh, removed from his position two days before the start of the World Cup after it was announced he would be taking over at Real Madrid. Now, here on the Transfer Window podcast, we've been bringing you news on an almost weekly basis about potential of Spurs manager Pochettino moving to Real Madrid uh, and him being their number one target. Duncan, what, what happened there?
2: Well, let's just first say Julian Lopetegui is a, a fascinating appointment because only two years ago, he almost became the Wolves manager um, and uh, is now in charge of the biggest club in the world, which shows how your career can take um, odd turns in football, and, um, just depending on the opportunities that present themselves, and opportunities that present themselves um, when you're not first choice for a job, um, and when a club uh, is trying to find a, a rapid solution, which is exactly what happened with Real Madrid, um, they wanted to appoint Mauricio Pochettino, as, as we've uh, as we talked about on several occasions. Um, they've been working on the deal for a long time. In um, advance to sort out pochettino 's interest, whether his readiness to move, um, what would be involved in getting him there, a strategy was developed uh, in which um, Pochettino would agree a new contract at Tottenham, which would allow Daniel Levy um, to be able to say, "I did everything in my power to retain the the coach um, and when Real Madrid came calling. Uh, he forced his way out and uh, we have to accept that that, um, another manager comes in. Madrid and Pochettino thought that strategy would work. Um, Up until uh, the weekend before Lopetegui's appointment, Pochettino was still working to try and convince Levy to allow him to leave. What um, happened though is that Levy just uh, put the anchors on, um, refused to uh, adhere to any kind of uh, compensation package and and decided that he was prepared to take the risk on holding uh, Pochettino against um, his will at the club. Pochettino, you'll remember, gave a couple of interviews where he made it clear um, his interest in going to Madrid, Madrid saying it was the, would be the summit of his career to take that job. Um, also gave himself the cover of saying that he was happy at, at Tottenham Hotspur. But... Um, if you're a Tottenham Hotspur uh, fan and you think that there was no interest from Pochettino in this job and that he's happy at the outcome um, of, of seeing the job being handed over to, uh Spanish national team coach um, in a hurry by Florentino Perez uh, with no preparation, then um, I'm afraid you're mistaken. And what's going to be interesting to see is how he deals with that in the in the coming season, um, whether he can get over the disappointment of missing out on the job, um, and whether he can refocus on the job at Tottenham uh, and take them to the level that their squad suggests they should be able to achieve, which is to actually win silverware um, of some type in England, um, or whether this is going to be um, you know the start of a of a problem for the club and and. Possibly force a managerial
1: change down the line? <clears throat> That's my reading of the situation, Duncan. Uh, is that, uh, and I completely um, agree in terms of the pursuit by Real Madrid of, of Pochettino, and that Pochettino was certainly a willing suitor um, in that particular negotiation. I think the appointment of uh, Lopetegui is a stopgap. He was never considered. I think the fact that Real Madrid risked the wrath of the Spanish Federation in um, conducting covert negotiations with their head coach while he was in situ uh, in Russia to prepare the Spain team for the World Cup tells you that he was not first choice by a country mile and that um, he is a patsy appointment while Madrid sort out the mess which they found themselves in when uh, Zinedine Zidane resigned from the job. Um, what you've now got uh, at the Santiago Bernabeu is a coach who will effectively be um, a puppet to Florentino Perez. Uh, he'll make no decisions in terms of um, transfers. He make no. He's likely to have, um, let's say, external influences in terms of his team selection next season. But this is a holding move by Florentino Perez until he gets the man he actually wants and believes can take the club forward, and that man is Mauricio Pochettino. And it will be very, very intriguing to see how Pochettino responds to his summer uh, in the way that he comes back to to work for Tottenham this season. Look, Pochettino is a young manager. He knows his own mind. He is a very ambitious, focused, determined individual. He knows that this is not his last chance. Be manager of Real Madrid, hence why he didn't create a fuss that got into the public domain, which would be seen to be him again. You're forcing a move out of Tottenham. Um, Levy says no, and he says, um, and, and he is this kind of you know negotiator. I've had personal experience with Daniel Levy. If he makes his mind up on something, it's very very difficult to to turn that around. If Levy says no, and I, I genuinely believe that he would have said no on the basis that there's no one out there that we could get for Tottenham who's as good as Pochettino. And we're moving at a new stadium and we're trying to sell season tickets. And we've got a young team who, you know, we're signing up on new extended contracts, etc. All the better players and everything else. Losing the head coach would have been a you know, massive, massive blow for Tottenham. And more than that, there was no one out there to bring in. There's not, there not another Pochettino out there um, to bring in and, and to move Spurs forward. So I think we've got a bit of a soap opera Potentially have a season coming up. Um, although Pochettino, uh, to my knowledge, I don't know him personally very well, but he's a, quite an honourable and uh, a very sort of dependable person. He will work hard in his job. He won't just down tools and say, oh, well, I, you know, you didn't get me all I wanted, therefore I'm, I'm not going to play ball. He won't do that. He's too proud. So Spurs will get a good season probably out of Pochettino, but we'll have, be having this conversation again on the transfer window in January, in February, in March.
0: That's what will happen. Uh, this is a problem that's just been kicked further down the line and it's a difficult balance for Daniel Levy in terms of uh, keeping the manager happy because you can turn, you can stop him going to Real Madrid once, but if it happens twice, that's very, very difficult for a manager to to cope with that. You know, Real Madrid are the biggest club in the world.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that's right, Johnny. I think um, the, the problem... The problem, one of the problems Tottenham face here, is if lo appointment doesn't go well, and remember, he's moving into a club that, although they just won the Champions League, um, were miles behind Barcelona in La Liga last season, uh, finished third in the table. Um, the president extremely unhappy with that performance and wants big changes this season. So they've got a, they've got a lot of ground to catch up. They've got. As we've already discussed, this huge issue with their best player, who their um, their their president is not <laughs> trying to retain at the moment, and and is um, infuriated by, by the situation. So this is you know it's not a, it's not a happy seat for Lo to come into, um, and it's a it's a, of a dimension far greater than anything Lo taken on in his career before. He was at, at Porto for a period; that's the biggest club manager's job he's had. Um, when porto had the biggest budget in their history um was eventually sacked uh, generally considered to have made uh, a mess of that of that uh, managerial role there so which doesn't augur well for being in charge of the biggest uh club in the world um depending on what where the euro pound um, exchange rate is at the time um therefore if he has a difficult season you know the discussion will open up very rapidly to who he can be replaced by, and everyone knows now that Mauricio Pochettino was the first choice for that job, and will probably continue to be the first choice for the job. So that question will be asked as soon as things start to go wrong about Pochettino. Um, and if you know if all is going well at Tottenham, um, probably the question's easier to answer from the from the Levy perspective in terms of retaining them at the club but if the if if problems do emerge in the season um which i mean this is is a very unpredictable situation because you do not usually you're not usually able to hold managers against the will it generally generally it's accepted in football if a manager really wants to leave for a bigger club you're better off letting them go because you're you there's you know, a huge question over whether he can retain his focus and commitment and control an entire group of leading an entire group of highly paid individuals when they know he'd, he'd rather have been elsewhere. So it might work for Levy and it might not, but what I'll say is if problems do emerge off, off retaining him there, then it becomes particularly um, susceptible to Madrid exploiting those problems and trying to take him during the season or, or at the end of next season. So it's, it's not it's not an issue that's gone away simply because um, Madrid have appointed a manager, and um, okay, fine, we can relax. Tottenham, everything's okay. And you know, uh, Pochettino wasn't interested. He much rather have uh, been the manager at the new stadium um, for Tottenham Hotspur, because you know, any manager would want to be the, in charge of Harry Kane and, and, and leading that exciting new project. It's you know, the dimensions of the two. The difference in dimension of the two club is huge. Pochettino understandably wanted to go back to um, the country where he spent most of his professional career, manage the top club there and, and test himself at that level. Um, but that doesn't disappear overnight. So it, it's something we'll, we will be talking about through the season coming. It's something that will be an issue through the season coming.
0: Okay, well, sticking with London-based managers, it seems like Napoli's former manager, uh, Maurizio Sarri, uh, is closing in on the Chelsea job. And Ian, you have a story on his potential budget for the season ahead. Indeed, Johnny, and it's, it's not a good one for Chelsea fans. Um, from
1: sources uh, at the club, I understand that um, that Romer Branwich is recent uh, travails regarding his visa being rejected to work in the UK, etc. And of course, his immediate response was to um, suspend the new stadium project, have extended to indeed the, the budget for next season, where um, he has informed the executives at Chelsea, uh, the, at the club and the training ground who deal with transfers, that uh, the new manager will have around between 50 and £60 million pounds to spend this summer, to improve a team which finished outside of the, the top four. Now, Chelsea players um, have been unusually uh, sort of questioning their own futures uh, with regards to next season. Aiden Hazard, Thibaut Courtois, uh, the two chief among them during this World Cup, um, because they want to see who the new manager is, they want to see what the club's ambition is, et cetera, et cetera. And um, you're looking at a sort of quite a disparate. Um, environment at uh, Chelsea right now. Uh, obviously, Antonio Conte hasn't even paid off yet, which is the reason that the appointment of a new coach has been held up. Um, that, I, I'm told, will be resolved this week, uh, allowing Sari to be appointed if they can agree terms. But if I'm Murcio Sarri coming in and I'm thinking, OK, you know, I want to win the Premier League, I want to have a shot at the Champions League, um, what's my budget? And if I'm being told that it's less than the amount that Chelsea played for Alvaro Morata last season for one player... I'm thinking, "Mm, this is a squad, this is a team which needs to be vastly upgraded to have any chance of competing with Manchester City. Never mind Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, etc. So I'd be worried um, if I were a Chelsea fan with regards to what's going to be happening this summer. Um, Not so much about changing manager, because we've all known that that was going to be the case, but with the fact that uh, you've got an owner who's effectively disassociating himself to a degree um, from what has been a excess of one billion pounds investment over the uh, the years since two thousand and three that he's owned the club, and that um, how that's going to affect their ability, as I said, to mount a serious challenge for the Premier League title. Never mind um, a stint at the uh, Champions League as well.
2: I think I think this the thing is uh, the whole managerial situation at, at Chelsea is fascinating. They're they're still they're trying to negotiate down. Um, Sari's release clause at Napoli to save money um, on that appointment. Um, They're going after a manager who has been effectively sacked by Napoli, although not formally sacked by Napoli. Um, There are obvious problems with with Sari as a personality, with his history of uh, behaviour in the Italian game. Um, He doesn't speak English well. Um, uh, If that's the man they eventually settle on it's a it's a complex and, and potentially error-strewn appointment what's interesting is this idea they'll bring Gianfranco Zola in as assistant manager obviously a player of huge huge popularity with the Chelsea support um, as a PR move a, an excellent idea because i immediately buy um, buy them some time on that uh, appointment because Zola will be the face if you like of, of the new managerial team um, and interesting because it was mentioned to me during the last season um, when there came a point where it looked like Chelsea might sack Conte um, during the season um, that Gianfranco Zola would be uh, a, a possible interim um, placement as manager with the idea of, of retaining him there depending on who the, the next appointment would be. So, um, Zola is obviously a, a, an important card that uh, Marina Granovskaya and Roman Abramovich have been holding in reserve for a, for a situation like this. And it looks like they might choose to to play that card at a time when they're doing odd things with the managerial appointments, um, not tying down their best players to new contracts or having them refuse to sign new contracts and, and not um, providing a great budget to reinforce a team that... that um, certainly underperformed
1: last season. I think it's interesting as well, Johnny, just to <clears throat> to say that normally at this time when the transfer window is open, Chelsea are one of the teams who are constantly um, at the top of the gossip pages, interested in this player and that player and paying, you know, 50, 60 million pounds for, for this player and that player. And and there's silence. You know, there's very, very few players that have been linked with Chelsea. Now clearly that's down to the you know the transitional period in terms of the manager. But it's also due to the fact that yeah, this, this budgetary uh, sort of requirement of Roman Abramovich means that whatever money is going to be invested has to be invested wisely to improve, as I said, what is a squad not good enough to challenge for the, the Premier League title, um, as was proven last season. So strange times at Chelsea in terms of you know the, the fact that everything's being scaled down financially. Um, you know the owner seems to be disinterested. Um, which is not the first time we've had little periods of this before, but they've still spent the money. But this is the first time where effectively, you know, it's come from the top and said, "No, I'm not going to just throw money at it to make it better. Um, I want you guys to figure it out for yourselves and uh, and find the solutions within a certain budget. And as we all know, and as Manchester uh, Manchester City have proven, <laughs> you need a bit more than just 50 million quid to win a Premier League title these days.
2: I just just mention one player that Chelsea have taking some kind of interest in and that's Adama Traore, who who Paris Saint Germain are looking at as well. But again that, that kinda of tells you where Chelsea are as a club. They see Adama Traore as a potential signing if they have to sell Willian or Eden Hazard. Um, I don't you know, certainly not an upgrade in either of those players. Um, guy would need a lot of development to get to the same level of, of those players. Or their alternative strategy with Adam Traore was to um, to sign him um, at that knockdown price of 18 million as as they see it, and then loan him out um, and put them into that sort of Chelsea um, general buy buy talented young players at a certain price, hang on to them for several seasons, and sell them on a profit um, model that, that they've used to to kind of part fund their transfer spend for the last few seasons. Again, it's not. It's not, um, it's not a great sign in terms of competing with Manchester City.
0: This kind of goes against what you're both saying, guys. But uh, does uh, the appointment of Maurizio Sarri suggest that we'll be seeing uh, Gonzalo Higuain's name linked with the club over the coming weeks and months, especially given Al- Alvaro Morata's admirers that he has at Juventus and how he performed when he was there? Is that a potential swap deal in the offing? I think it's um, certainly
1: something which we looked at. Obviously, Higuain had uh, a couple of good seasons at Napoli um, and it did exceptionally well and has done exceptionally well indeed at Juventus as well. He, um, he would be someone that Chelsea would consider replacing Morata with. Morata's not failed to settle in London well, failed to settle at Chelsea. I think his wife is either in the process of giving birth or has just given birth. And I think it, he himself is, is not particularly happy Um, with life at Chelsea and therefore finding a way out for him would be advantageous for Chelsea but also if it meant they would get someone like Higuain who is a bit older but a a proven striker at the best level so yeah I think that's going to be inevitable Johnny that that those kind of um, stories will materialise over the next few weeks
0: Okay, well, um, it wouldn't be the Transfer Window Podcast if we didn't bring you a snippet of uh, Manchester United news. Uh, David De Gea is a man who's been in the headlines after his error in the 3-3 draw between Spain and Portugal. Duncan, what's the latest news on De Gea and his contract?
2: Yeah, we've seen a a, a fair amount of reporting again this week. Um, Some people saying that the contract's already agreed, some saying that it's... um, it's going to be agreed that the player um, and the club uh, both expect it to be agreed soon. Um, uh, it's a report in Spain yesterday that it was going to be €21 million Euros, um, a season, making him the best-paid goalkeeper in the world, um, and that it was all done and would be announced after the World Cup. We've seen this stuff on De Gea since, um, yeah, well, particularly since the turn of the year, there's been um, multiple multiple reports saying that the contract was uh, almost there or there. Um, every time I ask um, people close to David De Gea, I'm told there's no deal, there's no agreement. Um, in fact, there hasn't been a formal offer from Manchester United at this stage. So um, I think uh, I think Manchester United would certainly don't want to see any um, suggestion that De Gea might be leaving the club. Um, and uh seemed to be briefing that they're, they're confident that it's going to happen. Um, the briefing from De Gea's side is very different. So I, I think we need to keep a close eye on this one, especially in a summer where, I'm not saying De Gea could go to Madrid, but in a summer where Madrid are um, tearing up their squad and uh, Florentino Perez needs to do something um, big, um, he's got this huge problem with Cristiano Ronaldo that has to be resolved one way or the other. Um, if Cristiano Ronaldo leaves the club, there will need to be um, high-profile signings coming in. He wants to do big signings regardless. He knows De Gea sees his, his future at Madrid at some point. Um, the, as long as De Gea's contract is not resolved and he has one year remaining with an option for an additional year... He becomes um, a a guy that they could have a go at and they could um, try and get out. I don't think Manchester United countenance selling him. Um, I think the club want to retain him for sure. I think Jose Mourinho wants to retain him. He is very well paid at Manchester United at present. But until that new deal is um, offered and agreed and he's tied down for five years will be a continual point of discussion. It needs to be a, you know something, a degree of worry about it for Manchester United.
1: I'd say the degree of worry, Duncan, if you're a Manchester United fan, is that if you um, had your season ticket at Old Trafford for the last 15 years and you saw, um, you know, Fergie's teams, the treble winners of 99, um, okay, going back more than 15 years for that one, but Beckham, <clears throat> Giggs, Ronaldo, Van Nistelrooy, Keane, etc. And then you fast forward to the last five years. And your player of the year for the last five years as your goalkeeper, you've got to ask yourself serious questions about Manchester United and the way that that club has evolved oh. over that time. I'm not saying that the Gea doesn't deserve those accolades. He does. But it's worrying, I think, for Manchester United that they have don't have a creative player, a striker, a midfielder who is even challenging their goalkeeper to be their player of the year. So two things that tells us is, one, he's indispensable. If Manchester United allow him to leave for Real Madrid, and he possibly could do so this summer, then that's a hell of a gap to fill. But secondly, it tells us that De Gea himself is looking at his time at manchester united and saying what what have i got to show for my time at one of the biggest clubs in the world a handful of player of the year trophies no champions league medal one premier league title a couple of other medals which don't mean that much to me could i go back to madrid and win the champions league win the liga win the world club cup etc etc yes i could My information is that there has been a contract offer on the table for a long time and it it keeps being improved and that De Gea went off to the World Cup with the latest offer on the table thinking yeah let's see what happens in Russia let's see what happens at Real Madrid this summer and then I'll make a decision about whether I stay at Manchester United or whether I move to Real Madrid and I genuinely do think that with one year and one year option left on his contract if he makes it very clear to Manchester United he wants to leave that they will have to sell and to be fair you couldn't say that there's no moral obligation on their part they've had a brilliant um part of his career and if he wants to leave now because effectively they've not matched his ambitions then maybe it's time for him to move on and Manchester United just have to swallow that very bitter pill and get on with it and replace him as a goalkeeper uh and and I think maybe
0: that will be the outcome this summer. Another player that we've discussed a few times is Anthony Martial. Is there any news there, Duncan?
2: Um well, Martial's agent came out and and essentially said what what we'd um reported on the transfer window um several months ago that he was unhappy with his situation at uh Manchester United and uh was interested in in moving elsewhere this summer. Um uh United's response has been that he's not for sale. They don't want to sell him. Um, In a sense, that's correct. Um, As we, again, as we explained several weeks ago, uh, Jose Mourinho's position on Martial has been that he doesn't actively want to sell him. He hasn't instructed United to place him on the transfer market. But he's a player who's in that category um, where... As he always says, if the player doesn't want to be at the club and comes with a proposal that's of um, value uh, and of interest to Manchester United, then I'm prepared to listen to that. So they've essentially left it to the agent who's been working um, for several months to try and find an out for Martial. Um, they rejected a, an offer of a new contract from Manchester United, and. Um, Essentially, sold around Europe's uh, Europe's biggest clubs and said, "Would you be interested in signing the player?" Um, as I understand it, they still don't have a proper offer um, at a contract level that's interesting to them and from a club that would be able to meet uh, or the the asking price is probably the wrong word because Manchester United haven't said this is the money we would sell them for. But there's a, a kind of implicit understanding on Martial's agent's part that 100 million euros would be, an offer of 100 million euros would be enough for Manchester United to um, say okay, if you don't want to stay anymore then we will take that. He hasn't been able to raise that offer which is why he went public in a way that most agents won't do uh, with quite an incendiary interview which um, angered the club and forced them to say um, we don't want to sell him.
1: Um, I think 100 million euros is a result of the ridiculous inflation that's taken place in the market over the past 12 months. I, if someone came to me and offered me, you know, Anthony Marshall 100 million euro, I'd probably laugh at them and say, are, "You know, are you serious? Have you have you looked at the way he's played in the last year? Um, for instance, um, he's not worth that much money." But of course, Manchester United um, invested an awful lot of money in, uh, when they bought him. Um, and as I recall, the, there were add-ons as well as the initial fee. Um, Martial, unfortunately, is someone who has let's just say a colourful personal life, um, which has um, I think frustrated both Josie Mourinho and other people at Manchester United. Uh, they feel that his focus is not uh, on his football, but what is obvious when he does play and when he plays well is he's an incredibly talented young man and could be, you know, an elite player of the of the kind of world class um element but at this moment in time he's not showing that um on the pitch and as I said um he probably needs to move somewhere else to um refocus um his uh, his mind in terms of his career and find uh, somewhere where he gets to play football every week uh, and therefore you know can show what he's actually if he is worth 100 million euros or not, I just think at that price, it would be very difficult for Manchester United to, to, to find a buyer.
0: Okay, guys, well, we're going to move on to the quickfire round. I'm going to give you a few names of players, and I'm going to ask whether or not their value has gone up or down based on their performances so far at the World Cup. So I'm going to start with Duncan. Irving Lozano.
2: Uh, his value has definitely gone up after his performance against Germany. Um, been doing a little transfer window player to watch um, ahead of most of the games in the tournament and, and that's that's one of the ones that came off best um, they're all younger guys that uh, that uh, some leading scouts in the game had, had said to me um, are the top talents in their in the particular squads you could develop into stars I think um is also interesting in that he's at, at PSV at the moment. Um, so um, is clearly susceptible to any kind of um, significant bid uh, from, for example, a Premier League team. Um, None of the Dutch sides these days are able to retain players when they get um, large offers for them, such as their finances. So he could be in that that, um, sort of James Rodriguez category of a a player who has an outstanding World Cup and, um, and sees
1: the offers flood in. Ian, I know his you've va- been... His value, Duncan, what would you say his value is? What was it before the World Cup and what is it now? Oh. Um
2: look, if he, if he was to have, an, I think, an offer of 40 million euros would, uh, would do it
0: for for PSV. Ian, I know you've been waiting for this one because you called him a scaredy-cat last week. <laughs> uh, Antoine Griezmann.
1: <clears throat> well, he didn't have a bad game um, against uh, in the first game of the tournament where he scored a penalty, obviously, Um and France were fortuitous with the uh, the Paul Pogba deflected goal or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I actually thought that France played well in that first match with, when Mbappé and Griezmann were, were linking up. And it was uh, Deschamps who, I think, made some tactical decisions, which meant that Griezmann wasn't as effective as he might have been. And, of course, he, he was then subbed anyway. Um his material value is now immaterial because he's scared a he cat and stayed at at, um, at Atletico, but however, I'm sure he's been very well paid uh, in his new five year contract because when Manchester United tried to get him last summer, he signed a new contract at Atletico and he signed another new contract to at atletico so um he's clearly very happy with things um at the club that he remains at and so um said, his value now uh, it was. £86 million, pounds because that was the release clause in his old contract. Um, from what I gather, the release clause in his new contract is around £125 million. Pounds. Uh, but right now, I would struggle to find anyone to buy him for that amount of money. He certainly, he certainly did a great job of
2: winning one of those dubious VAR decisions that we've had um, throughout the World Cup so far. Um, I don't know what you think, Ian, but there's, there's, the, it just seems to have... Uh, transferred the question from, uh, from the referees well, to the
1: guys, the guys... Interestingly, Duncan, I, I, I thought that there was no obvious, clear or obvious evidence that the defender had touched the ball before Griezmann's heel gets caught in that particular VAR decision. And I agreed with Johnny on, um, on Twitter about Mark Lawrenson, who just seemed to be lazy and, and dreadfully arrogant in saying, Oh, that's a dreadful decision, you know. There's no penalty there, you know. I stood a streaming defender, I think it uh can't remember the defender's name. He's not even touched him Yeah, he said he's got he's got the ball. There was no there's no evidence that he'd gotten the ball first, which would have obviously provided a different outcome in terms of the penalty. But Griezmann's clearly taken on the heel. Now whether that's accidental or makes no difference, it's in the box. Now, I agree with you but VAR being a bit dubious, but I do, I genuinely believe that, that penalty was correct.
2: Yeah, I think I, I think it's actually a question about what, whether you give a penalty in that situation. I think um, for me, there was evidence, and this is interesting when we're discussing VAR. You've watched the video, I've watched the video. I think there was evidence he got the ball, clear evidence he got the ball. You think there wasn't. But what, what was questionable for me is he gets the ball, knocks it into Griezmann's path, who carries on, and then catches him with his, with his leg, and he definitely takes Griezmann. Um, afterward, knocks him over. So, Lawrence wrong on that. Uh, your, your question there is Do you have the old interpretation of fouls, which is if you get the ball first, you're allowed to get away with anything, or do you have a more modern interpretation of a foul? You get the ball first, but you play it into the opponent's path and then you foul them as he carries on his run. Is that a foul? Yeah, probably it is. My, my point is that you're just transferring these issues. To another individual and and you've also got this you've also got this one with the the Pepe decision where the referee I think abdicated taking a decision um, because he wasn't sure um, if Pepe had been fouled by Diego Costa, he clearly had been fouled by Diego Costa. I think if there was no VAR there, the referee would probably have whistled because he sees the, the reaction from Pepe, but he abdicates it to VAR, and then VAR don't give a decision because they've been told only do it if it's clear and obvious. So you, you, you're, you're shifting the way that the game is refereed by adding in this new protocol of clear yeah, and obvious. Clear and obvious. So
1: I, I guess the, the question, though, in terms of Griezmann also has to be, even if there is contact on the ball, is the player being fouled or denied the advantage of a goal-scoring opportunity by the fact that he's taken down, even accidentally, by the by the defender? Yeah. You know. So if Griezmann is allowed to stay on his feet, does he take advantage of the ball and the goal-scoring opportunity at that point? If it's the answer is no, then it's a penalty anyway.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think they they came to the right decision eventually there, but.
1: Um, but the way of doing it might not have been
2: the right way. <laughs> yeah, and, was, and, and having, having this VAR system doesn't necessarily mean you get to the right decision, as we see with Pepe. As you, as you see with the um, Romelu Lukaku's um, uh, offside goal yesterday, It's yeah. marginally yeah. offside. But again, the linesmen have been instructed not to flag, even if they think it's offside in marginal decisions, and leave it to VAR. Um, so, which you, you're changing the way a game is normally refereed, then because the linesmen yeah. are being told, don't do what you normally do. Leave it to VAR, and VAR being told, well, only intervene if you think it's clear and obvious. It's um, it just it, it's a complication which is I,
0: I don't think it's worth the advantages we get. I'm just going to check with the the VAR just now. Are we still on the quickfire round, guys? i just waiting <laughs> on the response for that. I was
1: going to say, Johnny, everyone is listening to this please get involved in the discussion. Tell us what you think, because VAR has become a massive talking point in this World Cup. And remember, 61% of the match officials in the opening rounds of the group stage of the World Cup have never used VAR. They they were given a week's tutorial before the tournament started. Is it being used properly? Is it becoming too much
0: and too invasive in the game? I'd love to hear your thoughts if you want to get in touch via Twitter. OK, Kraken, well, we'll move on to the, the, the next name on my list, which is Neymar. That's definitely yours, Duncan. I'm, I'm tossing that one up to you.
2: <laughs> I don't think he... He hasn't increased his value from the first game. Um, I have some sympathy with Neymar in the national team jersey because I think his best performances as a footballer have been for Brazil. I think um, he led Brazil... Um, from the front at the last World Cup, and when he was taken out uh, in the quarterfinal, um, that was the beginning of that you know, horrendous demise they had against uh, Germany in the semi-final. They lost their best striker and they lost Thiago Silva, uh, their best defender, in one game. And people kind of forget that that's what happened before they they went in and got hammered by Germany in the, the semi-final. So I I've seen the best of Neymar uh, in a Brazil shirt. We've got to remember that he is um, recovering from metatarsal surgery. Um, It was touch and go as to whether he would be fit for the World Cup. He he took that surgery in in the attempt to get fit as quickly as possible for the World Cup. So he's probably not quite there yet. Um, And there is a huge weight of expectation on his shoulder. But I don't, unlike at Paris Saint-Germain, I don't think you can question his desire Um, in a Brazil shirt. Um, But question, has he increased his value from his performance so far? Definitely not.
0: Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, Look, when you score a
1: hat-trick in the opening game of the World Cup finals, you score that free kick, and the pressure's on you, um, the whole weight of your country, the expectation that's on Cristiano Ronaldo in a Portugal shirt, um, is, I'd say just as huge as it is on Neymar or Messi in their national team shirts he produced he has cojones and you know to do that in that stage 93rd minute just incredible but you're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo here so it's not incredible because this is what he does and I had a conversation um, with Frank Lampard about the changes you have to make as you get older as a player you know what If you can no longer be at 100% for 90 plus four minutes, then what do you do in order to affect the game at the right moments? And he said to me, you do it at the right moments. You just take advantage of when you get the ball in the right situation. And even if you touch the ball 10 times in a match, which of course that's not going to happen with Cristiano, but if you touch it, then make sure those touches are the ones which decide the match whether it's a pass, an assist, or a goal, or a penalty, or whatever. And I think Ronaldo, at age 33, has definitely applied himself to that notion that it doesn't matter if I'm running the game or not anymore, if I'm able to run the game or not. It's if I decide the game that makes me count more than anything else. And that's what he did against Spain, and I think that's what we'll see. And does it increase his value? It doesn't increase his transfer value, I don't think, because I think Real Madrid already resolved that they will sell him for a suitable amount of money and that would be around the €100 million euro mark. What it does is increases his value to his next team because more people will want him. People will look at Cristiano Ronaldo in a different way, performing on that huge stage, and, and think, forget about 33 years old, what is he worth to us as a club coming to us for next season? Will he make us title Winners or not. And you know what? Despite the difficulties, etc., etc., et cetera, and the money and everything else, you've got to ask yourself, with the amount of money sloshing around English football, and with Manchester United's history with Cristiano Ronaldo, no matter how difficult a transfer that would be, would it be the difference between winning the Premier League next season against Manchester City or not? Maybe. So therefore, his transfer value may not have increased, but his value to his next club, I think, is evident.
0: Okay, well, that's all from us. To continue the debate, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane. Duncan is at Duncan Castles, and Ian is at Garbo SJ. We've also got a brand-new Twitter handle for the podcast, at TransferPodcast, so follow us on there and you get all the latest news from us. And also, if you want to fire us any questions or any comments about the podcast, that's the place to do it. If you like the podcast, you can do us a huge favor and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you're feeling especially motivated, a good review on there too. We are currently searching for a sponsor. So if you want your company associated with one of the fastest growing and most popular podcasts in the UK, get in touch via our social media channels. We'll be back on Tuesday before 3pm next week. Until then, thanks for listening.